This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Hohokam, and Yucateco Maya people. And we wish to pay our respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konnichi, what's up, cousins? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka the Blasian Blurt, and this is our 12th installment of the Mixed Auntie Confidential pew, 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 yeah. with myself and Auntie Teresa. Hey, hey, hey. Mixed Auntie Confidential number 12. Number 12. So we're back from hiatus also. So this is like one of the few times that we've gotten a chance to even catch up since uh since I both went on hiatus and moved to to Merida. How you doing? Girl, I'm good. And I think I want I think it is just really, really lovely of HBO and W. Kamau Bell to time this documentary, 1000 percent Me Growing Up Mixed, with our 12th <laughs> episode. Yes, thank, really, thank you, Kamau. For um, <laughs> paying such close attention to our schedule. Yes. Well, I mean, I think it's just, I, you know, I like to believe it's a synchronicity of the universe and all that good woo-woo stuff. Cause, but um, Also, we're both December babies, so the number 12, 12th month. We're both, there you go. We're both December yeah. babies. Yeah, see? 12 is one of my favorite numbers, so. Yes, yes, me too. So just, yes, so. All right, so this documentary, which just um, started airing on HBO on Tuesday, May second, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've watched it twice. Me too. Where do you? Where do we start? First of all, just I'm going to just say this. This is my opinion. I highly recommend everybody watch it. I do too. I highly recommend everybody watch it. We're going to do our thing. You know how we get into, we'll do, you know, what we think is fabulous, what we think is okay. And maybe a couple things that, you know, but no one piece of content can do everything for everybody. Sure. And that too. But this but, one does cover a bunch of different oh, levels. Yes. Like, yes. To be like the older person to look back at these kids, mm-hmm. you know, looking back at being the same age that some of these kids were. Yes. And like how we identified ourselves, thinking back to how we identified them, ourselves back then, to seeing just how well these children articulated their identity and how they felt about who they were. I, that. Well, we didn't even amazing. have the language back then. I mean, yes. in all fairness, in all, and we'll get into that. We'll I'm get into that. My, the elder on there who's my homie, I don't know him, but he's from Seattle. So I'm playing. Yeah. Him. Like I thought about you when he popped up, I was like, Oh, a Seattle mix. Um, yes. But you know, you've got the, you got the parent perspective, you got the children perspective, yes. you got the mixed yes. adult perspective, you got the mixed senior adult perspective. Yes. It's being told through the lens of a person in an interracial relationship. So yes, there's that. And not only that, like, I mean, I, I love W. Kamal Bell. I've I've gone to see him several times when he's done speaking engagements. I've mm-hmm. watched most of the stuff and I've listened to the podcast that he's been on and stuff like that. He's someone that I think 
usually does talk about race and identity and even mixedness really well. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've yet to hear him say something to be like, mm, I don't know, come on. You know, like I haven't right. had those moments with him too much. Okay. So okay. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm glad that he put in that effort. Cause I know it's, it was also part of his standup early on that he talked a lot about um, mm. being interracially married and having mixed kids. And that was when his kids were baby babies. Now they're seven and 10 or the two older ones that were shown in this one are seven and 10. So he's had time to watch them develop into, you know, fully formed mixed kids and stuff like that. So uh, I will say that for the most part, I think this is as good a documentary about mixed kids or mixed people in general as has been out. I agree. I think it elevates the, so what I like is that I think, first of all, context, um, uh, remembering that ongoing public discourse about mixed race people is still brand new. It has only been happening for maybe five years. Mm-hmm. And to remind anybody listening, watching, is that in the first few years of that time, we, our voices weren't invited in. People were talking about us. Yeah, they were talking about people us. were talking at us, mm-hmm. mostly monoracial people. Mm-hmm. And but our and I can say that because I was kicked out, blocked, unfriended, mm-hmm. deleted, you know, canceled by people simply for saying, "Hey, I'd like to add." Since since I, since people like me are the topic, yeah, I'd like to weigh in. I wasn't trying as a to as a representative of the Department just, of Mixed People. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> arguing. I wasn't trying to whatever. People were not welcoming. Our voices. Yeah. I'm just. I want to give that for context for everybody, for the, to show the significance mm-hmm. and the value of this particular documentary, a thousand percent me growing up mixed, currently showing on HBO. So, what I liked about it is these conversations. You know, you and I and our fellow mixed aunties and other leaders in the area, we've been clocking these conversations since they happened, mm-hmm. started happening, and you know. Shout out, fifth year anniversary of Militantly Mixed. It's only about five years. So you were a pioneer that these conversations have been taking place in, like I said, widely and in a sustained, not just every once in a while when there's a celebrity, da, 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 right? Right. Somebody wants to figure out their tragicness. So what I love is that this documentary was, um, you know, it included a lot of important perspectives it included mm-hmm. a nice range of mixed kids and people, mm-hmm. two adults, um, two adults, and the the kids, the kids, fucking the kids. I mean, I mean, you know, quite frankly, it was lovely to have their parents. Mm-hmm. I didn't need their parents, not necessarily, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just I, I some like light. It. Yeah, it's for, for a general audience, this is not. He didn't make it for us mixed people. So it's for our general audience. So, and the parents were interesting because of course I saw for me, there were some pink flags and red flags or orange flags with some of the the things some of the parents said, but I'm like, but that also is real. But that's also a reality. Like that's a reality of things. And so you hope that people can catch those moments and be like, you, you know, see how it's like to have a monoracial parent kind of not get it right, you know? Right. Well, the older kids, the older siblings, there were a couple families where the older siblings came in and made that real clear. So 
Okay, so let's see. How do we jump? How do we jump in? I do also want to highlight that all the families that were portrayed were Bay Area mixed families. Uh, Bay so Area mixed. Can I ask you? California for the Bay Area, part, California the mixed. And we know as West Coasties who grew up on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and I think this is important for folks to hear. Um, outside of potentially Minneapolis, and I spent time there as a kid, that's where my parents were from. Growing up mixed, and again, I'm a boomer. Growing up mixed on the West Coast of the United States of America is radically different than any other part of the United States, than any other part of the United States. It's because swirling and being mixed Mm -hmm. are, again, even back to the 1950s when I was born, are are normative and are so ingrained in the cultures yeah. that you are in general. Now, maybe if you're in a specific community that's not very diverse, whatever, but in general, you're not going to be othered. Nobody's tripping over the fact that you exist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there's, it's not that the binary is not present. It's very much mm-hmm. present, but it's not always quite as rigid Right. Seen or enforced on the West Coast. And so, and the other thing I wanted to add, so thank you for pointing that out, Charmaine, is in today's world, 2023, I'm just going to say it because this occurred to me several times, that you have incredibly conscious, as you said, articulate, smart children, that anybody, for the most part, living in a home in the San Francisco Bay Area of California these days is a wealthy person. Yeah, you're, you're most likely fairly affluent families. They're, they're most likely very affluent. Yeah. I mean, and again, not to, that. Not, this is not to discount, it's just to provide a context. Yeah, just a context, because the, what I'm, okay, I mean, I grew up West Coast, I'm a hood kid. I did grow up around a lot of mixed people. And what I found early on in my militantly mixed days was that, I was unique in the people that I was talking to because I did grow up in mixed community. It was more available to me, both as a West Coaster and as a military kid and as a kid with two biracial parents. So I had multiple layers of mixedness informing the way I developed and was able to articulate my identity um, at that age, even though I was a a, a hood kid, a poor kid, whatever. These kids, I think they have this additional benefit to their affluence probably in that they live in in some of the most expensive counties in all of California and probably all of the United States. Marin County in particular is one of the most expensive counties. You know, the Silicon Valley area also very expensive. So most of these kids live very affluently. Even for the ones who tell a story like the older kids that tell a story about how their parents didn't allow them to really talk about mix and stuff like that. They were still in in environments where they were exposed to a lot of racial diversity within their communities, even if they were, you know, the binary was present, you know, like you said, um, for some folks. But I think the the kids that we're seeing, the ones that are from like that 7 to 13, 14 range, what they got to do is they had time to talk about. They had the privilege of time to talk about their identities. That was a little bit different, probably than mixed folks in other parts of the country. And, you know, it's funny because when I started to to have these conversations with mixed folks for Militantly Mixed, I was always stunned every time a person came on the show and they had never spoken to another mixed person before me. Exactly. Like in the early days, it was so much emotion because the people would spend time just telling me 
how crazy it was. I was the first mixed person they were speaking to, even if they had a mixed sibling or whatever, they never spoke about race. And while that has shifted a lot in these five years, that first year was filled with me speaking to people who had never spoken to another mixed person before. So being a California mix or West Coast mix or, or whatever, you just kind of didn't, you just didn't realize how much more mixedness you had access to. Exactly. Uh, whether it was intentional by the community that your family kept or by accident because of how many mixed people are around. It's kind of in the water in the air. I'm not going to Yeah, it, it, it really is. And I, I can really, really tell that, or I, throughout yeah. the years of doing the show, I could tell, I'm like, there is something unique about my mixed yeah. experience, the general part of my mixed experience versus, you know, everybody has an, a unique experience and stuff like that. So when I see these kids, I know you and I were messaging and you were like a mini Charmaine. And I was like, there was like three mini Charmaines. No, in, in some that, there was no. one in particular. I got, I got her name. I got, I got her name. <laughs> I'm going to preach on that in a second. So another thing I want to just to build on what you just said that I think is so really exciting and valuable about this. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the kids mentioned it and now I'm, you know, trying to go through my notes, which of course I should have been lovely and typed up, but I didn't. But one of the young women, mentioned this that I didn't have and you really didn't have even being from the west coast and even you being from California when she mentioned oh I really oh I think this is it might have been his daughter I don't know or another one who's a musician likes I like Alicia Keys why do you like Alicia Keys well she's a great musician but also she's mixed and she looks like me so nowadays what we know and there are of course pros and cons to this big picture but and colorism plays a role and we know all of these things but what young people today, I would say millennials, but particularly Gen Z on down, because I don't even know what generation these kids are in. Yeah, I don't know what they're called. <laughs> what they're called. I know there's a name, but I don't know what they are. That there are abundant public figures regularly in the public eye and conversation. So that again, I mean, when I was growing up, there were literally, I don't remember anybody, not a single mixed race person of any mix in the public eye, I can't name a single one beyond Frederick Douglass, who obviously was right. not alive in the same time I was. Right, right. yeah. So, so for me, I did have Halle Berry and Mariah Carey. Okay. Um, when I was I was in the age range that these kids are. So that, that girl was Sammy. That was Kamau's older child. Yes. That, that mentioned Alicia Keys. And even seeing it, you know... Still to this day, like I can say generally there's some people out there that look like me. I, I, I live now in Medida. I live in a place where, you know, there's more brown people than not. And so there might be some folks that look like me. I'm definitely being mistaken for Mexican a few times here and there. But I still don't really have that experience of that role model. Like Mariah Carey might be my closest one in that she is an extremely ambiguous in her presenting person, but owns her blackness. Yes. You know claims it, tells people about it, reminds them, you know, don't forget, you know, kind of a thing. Like she, she was the closest, but in the way in which I remember finding out she was mixed and being like, oh, she's like me. I, I, it wasn't like I got to talk about all the time. Like, it wasn't like I always got to look to, to her for that, but it was just like, it was just kind of a, like, oh, cool. See, I'm not, I'm not that weird. Cause you you could name two. Yeah, and you're right. You know, and then Alicia Keys came along. But what, I think the thing that another reason these these young people are so impressive, 
and so able because they bring they brought just a lot of wisdom uh so able to bring all this wisdom is mm -hmm. and they're seven to 16 years old i think is the age range yeah. so yeah. they've grown up in these last five years with the public conversations and they the, the older ones at least grew up with a biracial person who was president of the United States. Now yeah. they have a biracial person who is vice president of the United States. So again, whether you, whatever you think of those folks and their politics is really not the point here. Right. There is a level of representation that has never existed before. So that even when people want to question them, and you can tell again that none of these young people, I'm sure they interviewed more than they used, sure. but none of these young people seemed the least bit uncomfortable they were right. all they were all militantly mixed they they really were like were all the ones they chose i'm sure they interviewed some they didn't choose but yeah because they, they did a cutaway where they showed like some of the interviews didn't go well and there was like a kid flipped over the chair and stuff like that so mm -hmm. i'm sure they got way more people than they actually oh yeah for documentaries absolutely but, but uh, i think but i loved that um i yeah i loved that so a thousand percent me, but, and the, that was, I think the cute little black Apino boy, Miles. Yes. Yeah. Miles said that. And honestly, the thousand percent thing came up a couple of times because I don't remember, I think it might've been Greg, which was the uncle of. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Of many, 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 many. Um, many. <laughs> uh, the uncle, uh, he, he had said, you know, something related to Greg. Like, yes. in terms of identity. So I, I, yes. I feel like, so Miles, Miles touched my little heart because he reminded me quite a lot of um, someone I do talk about on the show quite often, Ryan Alexander Holmes, mm -hmm. who's like a Chinese and has that quote that I steal all the time, which is, it's not that I don't look Asian. It's just, you've never seen an Asian that looks like me before. Uh, yep. He often will post something that'll say, I'm 100% Black, I'm 100% Asian. Yes. You know. That's much more popular nowadays. Yeah. And Miles and I'm 100% Black, 100% Filipino. And a thousand percent a person, which is, which is what I was like, sir. Yeah. So all the t-shirts that came out of these kids. Mouths. You know what I'm saying? Like I was literally just <laughs> dropping out things. Um, so unfortunately I did take like six pages of notes, but I have moved over to my more permanent long-term house. I just haven't brought everything here and I happen to leave my notepad, but a lot of it is locked in. Um, so with the exception of some of the names uh, I might've lost because I did write everybody's name and ages down. Um, I think I have most of it, but uh, Every kid that was on there, there, I mean, there was a good spread across different um, diasporas within the different kids that, you know, definitely, you had your black, definitely. white, biracials, but yeah. you also had black Asian, you had a couple of different, you know, you had black Korean, you know, black Filipino, you had triracials, like Minnie was a triracial kid, both of her parents were half black and one was white and one was yeah. Asian or Korean yeah. in particular. There's the Afro-Latina girl who was transracially adopted by white people. Um, then there was the mixed girl. But, so both those girls, Carter and Nola, Nola and Carter. Nola, yeah, Carla and Nola. And so they were interesting because both of them had two mom families. Two moms. Mm -hmm. Carter, I think, um, had one black mom, one white mom. That was Nola. Was that Nola? My bad. Nola, okay. yeah. So I think the, I think the one, black one of the moms or both of the moms are the biological one right. of them was the biological, but then they had sperm donors. Right. And sperm and then but the and then that one when it made me a little sad because she says she that doesn't know what her sperm donor and I I that made me feel a whole kind of way. I was like, you better somebody better find out and tell that baby because in today's the world, rules are so oh, well that was sperm donor. 
and their adoption, but they're loosening because more and more people now have access to Ancestry.com DNA tests. My yeah. thing is, there ain't no point in keeping stuff secret anymore because, you know, some. But anyway, that made yeah. me feel a kind of way because what you have, and maybe we do something about this in the future, is mixed uh, people who are I'm gonna write down who are brought <laughs> up with um with a chunk of their identity that they don't have access to, that they don't have information about, right? Mixed missingness or something, we'll call it. You know what I mean? So that's another story for another time. But he, but that was included. So I like the range of inclusion as well. Um, I really like the couple. The husband was from an African country, which of course I wrote. Uh, yeah. And the, the mother is Punjabi from state of Georgia. State of Georgia, um, yeah. But the mother and the father is African, black African. Mm -hmm. And so the mother, as their father said, was really oh, pushing, really pushing the, the consciousness and the black yeah. American, you know, because he didn't really know anything about that. I also like that they named their daughters with the last name of one parent and the other I daughter. Knew like the other. I dug it. I really dug it. But that little girl, Samaya, was so fucking cute because she, oh, yes. Like she's seven, so, or, or even maybe, yeah, I think, I think she was seven. seven. She, she's quite young. But she was like, I am a mix of black, Asian, and all of my favorite animals. And so she's like, yes. all dogs except for llama. So she's like, llama, corgi, llama, uh, corgi, husky. and, uh, and she yeah, got like she just and, and and then at one point she just go. And I'm so glad they kept this in because this is what it is like to talk about mixedness sometimes. And she just looks up and she's like, um, I'm having a dance party in my head right now, and I'm doing the Running Man and the Floss, and like, yes. you know, that's what it is yes. like sometimes yes. to try to like. communicate what it's like to be mixed to people that aren't mixed or who already have preconceived notions of what they expect us to be like. And mind you, she's seven, so obviously there's also seven year old brain going on in there too. But that's what it. But it just related so well to me for what it's like sometimes to have these conversations. But she, even at that age, she seven, like yes. she could get her point across about like she un, she understands where her father comes from. She understands oh, yeah. where her father comes from. They clearly have a community yes. that that is what looked kind of like uh, Indian and and yes. African together. They you know they had the drums, they were dancing and stuff like that. So another thing I really loved about it to build on what you just said, and this is this is something that I'm real big on pushing to parents of mixed kids, all mixed kids, right? Is you know what is the most important thing parents can give them, right? And my answer is go step beyond race and ethnicity and nationality and give them as much exposure as you reasonably can to okay. your culture or okay. cultures, whatever that is, tangible yeah. cultures that it seems to me that, um, and the, the kids in here whose mix was black and something else, BIPOC, especially mm -hmm. talked about having access to and a very, very strong connection to the rituals, traditions, mm -hmm. foods, and peoples of their non-Black cultures. None of them mentioned the Black part, really. You know, yeah, well, so, as much, as much, as mm -hmm. much, which um, is fine, which is fine. I'm just, I just noted that. I was like, yes, I have strong ties. I see my, my Lola to the Filipino. I have strong yeah. ties to the Punjabi. I have strong, we do Chinese New Year, you know. Well, um, Mila, the black and Chinese girl who who 
basically nails the thesis statement of the entire piece, which is one of the things I wrote down um, yes. near at the end of the near the end of the documentary. She mentions her Chinese culture, but then she says on the black side, we talk about race. We well, she said about, my dad taught teaches me. There's teaches music. Me. Yeah. There. So I thought that was. Yeah, she brought that. up hip hop music. She brought oh, up talking great. about race. It was, it was not, it was different. It wasn't yeah. experiential directly. That, that was what yeah. brought it to my attention was I thought it's not, that's great. That yeah. is marvelous. But she didn't, that, that was much more almost detached. Well, to me, that actually nails what it is to be Black in America is that, yes, we do have our cultural things that we do. We absolutely do. But- yeah so much of our existence is having right. to understand our race at a very young oh, no, age. No, 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 not, not just to understand well, not just how well. our music is a part of yes, the absolutely. racial discussion. So absolutely. while the music itself is a part of the culture, it is also a part of the racial discussion. Absolutely. And then she's like, and then he tells me to read. He, he makes sure that I read a lot, that yes. I work around about the people that I come from and that I and yes. stuff like that. And so, you know, she was 10, right. 11, you know, she was very young, but she she nailed the whole thing. Like you're yes. not just one thing. Yes. You have all of this stuff happening. You have all this stuff informing. And it, to me, she just felt, she just seemed so better equipped to talk about race than even some of the people that I have had on the show that are, you know, grown ass <laughs> folks that haven't been able to be exposed to that. And when her dad dapped her up for what, yes. you know, yes. for, and he, yes. like, you could see that swelling of pride. He's just like, the message got in. Yes. She will be prepared. And I, it, this watching the documentary came right off the back of me watching a clip from. I, I don't quite know what the event was, but it was it was a man that was talking about. It looked like um. There's this podcast. I think I forget what it's called, but they they basically host events where people come up and tell a story, and and then it ends up you know becoming part of the of the podcast later on. Uh, but this was a black man who talked about taking his family to Paris and how they were walking around um, Paris one day and out of nowhere, they're just walking down the street out of nowhere. His eight year old son says, dad, why didn't you um, tell on the cops that time? And it just like, they weren't talking about anything. They were walking down right. the street, but they just happened right. to be in Paris when it happened. And he, in the moment tells his eight year old son that uh, because it's not always safe to talk about or to get, you know, to tell people that they've done something wrong towards us. It's sometimes better just to keep your mouth shut. And and he, what he was referring to was an event where he was trying to get into his own apartment and the cops or a hotel room, a, a hotel that he had been staying at for a week with the hotel staff already knew who he was, but the cops had said that he was suspicious and they thought he was trying to get away because he parked backwards in a parking spot. And he goes, first of all, I parked backwards. Yes. But I sat in the car for like 10 minutes you know, working on a, on my phone or something like that. And then when I got out, he said they thought he was suspicious because he parked backwards because he would be trying to get away from them. And he was like, but I sat in the car for 10 minutes. And so six cops harassed him until they found out he wasn't the guy, whatever that they were looking for. I say that in quotes. And, and it's not so much later when he has another incident that happened in Paris where he's going to go pick up a, a rental car and he's waiting, you know, he's queuing up for the rental car and there is a white family and the bag is opened where you can see his passport. And so 
He's, he, at first he thinks, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to draw attention to me as a black man. But then the guy had a baby in his arm and he felt bad. So he just says to the guy, um, your bag is open and I can see your passports. And so the guy is like, oh, thank you. And he tries to zip it up. But because he's got the baby in his arm and his wife has a kid or something like that, the, he says he gets his better judgment. He says, I'll go ahead and close it for you. And so he like makes a show of like closing it, walking away with his hands. But then the wife leans over to the, the man and whisper something and then he rearranges himself so that his bag can be closer and things like that and then you know the black man gets uncomfortable and scared and he talks about just like oh great if anything goes crazy now they're gonna say that i stole it even though i made an effort to show i didn't have right. anything when i walked away and stuff like that and in that moment he thought about the little boy that the father was holding and he's like did that white boy did that little boy just learn he was white today and um, you know, that, or that there was something different about me as a black man and him. Like, was that a, a critical moment of a life lesson that's going to embed in that white child for later on down the road when he's probably going to treat a black man the way his parents treated me? And in that moment, he thought about the critical moment of telling his son, it's better to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. And so that's he really thought right. he robbed his son in that moment of more information, you know, basically just said your voice. He he basically felt like in that moment, he told his son, your voice is never important. And he needed mm -hmm. to undo that and correct it and say, your voice is important. We just have to be cautious. So he needed to find a better way to teach his son that. So I had just seen that clip and then I had seen the documentary. So yeah. seeing those two things side by side, the difference of a father that empowers your child to talk about like I'm going to give you these tools yes. you're going to be out in the world and I'm not always going to be able to be there in your moment but in that moment that father looked like I gave her enough tools you know it's not always going to be easy but she has a place to start to talk well, about I think you're absolutely right I think that what again looking at the demographics of who ended up in the documentary um what you're seeing is some very responsible parenting overall. It, overall, there were, there were a couple there's of white, a, there's a few moments. White, there were a couple of white parents who admittedly were like, "Hey, I'm glued to it," you know. But yeah. I mean, that's fine too because that's even the, the fact that the white parents could admit to the cluelessness of it. Well, I mean, it's, was a good place to start right. because they I've seen plenty of parents have not, to, not be able to do that. They have nothing to lose by it. But anyway, there's no, they're not at risk of losing anything. But you know, I'm with you. But it's my, it's more like that you saw. I mean, this is another conversation for another time, but you saw a good number of the Black and then other BIPOC parents having an aware, again, looking at the demographic, having an awareness, and like you just said, and it illustrated so beautifully, giving their children tools. I call it tools to process and to navigate, mm -hmm. to understand context, to know when it's personal or when you can react personally, which is what that father was doing. Mm -hmm. When you have to understand that you might want to do something, but the bigger picture, the, the risks and the consequences could be greater right. than the satisfaction of speaking up in the moment, da, 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 da. all right. those. So what I liked about, about thousand percent me growing up mixed was you had a lot of parents who clearly, and it might not just be from the parents, it might be coming from other sources as well, who um, are, are providing their, their children with the tools. And in, Minnie Maine's case, and Minnie Maine was Kaylin, 16, um, <laughs> her uncle Greg. Yeah. Her uncle Greg, my favorite person, it looked like he's the one. Yeah. That that's and it 
she said, this is my person. This is who I can talk to. So, so a message about parenting in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I knew this as a parent. I experienced it growing up with a single mom is having parents who understand and access the wisdom of the village. But you yeah. does, it really does take a village, not in the stereotypical sense or the superficial sense, but especially for teenagers. And she is a teenager. Mm-hmm. You always need to have trusted, responsible, nurturing adults who aren't the parent around. Yeah. And I whom, add that, yeah. With me too, with whom your kids can discuss difficult things. Because sometimes when you're mixed, let's talk about this. Sometimes when you're mixed, these topics are too charged to process with your parents. Yeah, um, like my black father had a hard resistance to talking about about race kindly. You know, he was right. a black man who favored non-black people. Mine too. And my father was it, very anti-black. Yeah, and it was very difficult to get into it sometimes with him. I had my Aunt Joyce. My Aunt Joyce is my mother's baby sister. She's the one who took over responsibility of me after um, I was 15 and... Um, I had left my father, went to my mother, but my mother's boyfriend was a risk to me. So I went to my aunt and my aunt let me have the hard conversations with her. And Mm -hmm. she, she shaped me into the person that I am. And while or later in life, our relationship went downhill and we no longer speak. Fundamentally, I am not the person that I am or, or healthy about certain aspects of my identity, if not for her and, and, Mm -hmm the conversations she let me have. So I did see a lot of parallels when I saw, you know, Uncle Greg being there. And even one of the notes where where she where she's saying, you know, he's my person, he listened. She's like, he's such a good listener. And then she says, see, look, he's looking at me while I'm talking. Mm-hmm. And that like, I, I'm sure that was super intentional to leave in, but it was so special to me. Yes. So special to yes. me to note that he looked at her while she's speaking. And, you know, I think, What he felt was a lack of, you know, he had the white mother who wouldn't talk about race to him and he didn't want his nieces and nephews to have that same thing. And so he took on ownership of that. And not to say that the parents probably don't talk about it, but we didn't get into that relationship. We got into the relationship with Uncle Greg. And uh, I mean, I just felt like that. I think we can assume that she's more comfortable for whatever reason. And this is not made on the parents, y'all. It's sure. really important to know sometimes the parents aren't equipped. They're just not equipped. And you are freer to talk to. There is a level of, I might not get in trouble if I say this, or there's that fear of, I might get in trouble if I say this to or, my parents. Or my parents just aren't capable of understanding. Like, they'll feel, like defensive if they think I'm telling them they're not doing a good job. Right. I'm, exactly. I'm just trying to work out some shit. Exactly. You know, like that I was my thing. I didn't want my mother to feel bad. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, I mean, you hope that every parent understands that there's no way they're going to nail every moment and things like that. And that they are, they're all going to, they're going to do damage and they're going to fix some things true. But a relationship with an aunt or an uncle, a close relationship with an aunt or an uncle, you get, you get away from that direct fear Yes. Of, I'm, I'm complaining about how I'm being raised. Exactly. I'm just trying to process Yes, I'm trying to compare something that's happening out in the world or, uh, you know, I'm trying to understand. I want to work out how I'm talking about it and I want to do it with someone I feel safe with. And, you know, for those of us who are lucky enough to have close relationships with aunts and uncles and um, 
you know, as a kid, I did. I had a close relationship with my dad's younger brother until later on there was something there too. Um, and having them to go to just to just to bounce something off and have someone be able to relate to you because again, all my aunts and uncles are also biracial, which except of one, my grandfather's oldest child, they're all biracial too. So like they, they understood, I think to a degree, even though they probably had less language to talk about race and identity than I did. And the, the generation that follows me has more ability to talk about race and identity, the language than I did, you know, and so on and so forth. I think each generation is trying to fix those conversations that they couldn't have as children. And now, now where we're at is this generation who can talk so well about yeah. being, and what I kept hearing was more, I am more. Yes. More. Yes. What I wasn't hearing too often, although like an older brother did mention something like that, it's like not being black enough or whatever the, the, yes. Filiblino, um, the brothers that had 22 years um, separate between them, Giorgio, uh, Mile, Giorgio, Giorgio. Is Miles' brother, Giorgio. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, Giorgio grew up, you know, looking black, but being predominantly in Asian spaces, and then transferring over to a space that's predominantly black. And of what do we hear with that is that he wasn't coding right. like the kids from the neighborhood. Exactly. And the way kids from the neighborhood know how to express that is to say you're not black enough, which was not an experience that I had, but it is an experience that a lot of people who have been on my show have stated to me experiencing getting that thing and and for me like I I didn't have that because I did code like I was from the neighborhood because I was from the neighborhood I didn't have to transfer out when things got wonky for me was when I moved to a predominantly white neighborhood near the end of my high school that's when it was just like I don't I don't know how to be around any of these people (laughs) <laughs> let alone, you know, let alone the black kids who grew up suburban, suburban black and, and hood black aren't the same. And so we didn't always exactly the same things. Yeah, but, I I really love Giorgio. I love the fact that they included the siblings and especially siblings where there was an age gap. Those are really nice to see. Yeah, um, those were really not just nice to see, but there were some really important insights. So stay on Giorgio for just a minute. And what you're saying, you just sparked something in me. I mean, and again, for context, you and I both grew up in the hood and we both code black. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we code mixed, light skin, ambiguous, but we both code black. Let's be straight with that, you know, um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I felt what he was saying. And so one of the things I think that is important for parents or other adults who are in the lives, in the influential roles in the lives of mixed children as they're growing up is mm-hmm. to understand those nuances that when you I'm moving them to a diverse community or putting them in a diverse school or trying to da, 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 that there, it isn't just race. It isn't just phenotype. You just made an important distinction. There's hood, there's suburban, there's super suburban, there's rural, there's different parts of the country. Black from other countries. There's other countries, but there's even different parts of the country. And especially if we're talking about American blackness, where black people will say, you don't call black. Okay, right, we're right. monoracial, just monoracial black people will say you don't code black. And so the coding, and maybe that's a future app, the the way one codes with between their different aspects of their identity and their lineage and the cultures they're exposed to also plays a good role. So and he says, so Georgia says, Well, I'll just I'm just gonna play basketball. I'm just gonna identify as a black as I'm a basketball identify player. As a basketball yeah. player. So I think. That's what I love about this documentary and the younger kids 
is that the younger kids are showing what kind of more evolved consciousness, conversation, and sense of self you have when you have the tools, when there are role models in the public sphere. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can see a role model any day, any time without even trying, right? In the public sphere. And when the conversation has been happening for all or most of your life, Mm -hmm. okay? So that that's very, very different. And that there are tools, there are tools There are better tools now for understanding. I loved also that none of them, even the older ones, embodied the tragic. Nobody was, you know, flopping around, whining. And, 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 you know, so that there was no, there was really not a lot of trauma. Not too much. Part of that is geographic. Part of that is economic. Mm -hmm. Let's be real. And part of that is, this is who was, was made the final edit. Right. right. The, the one place that I, I would say you get exposed to a little bit of, of the the tragic brown, let's say, is the story of the Filipino father with the white mother, the, the parents of Presley. Presley. Uh, Presley's the little girl who is the bass player, who also codes very queer for me, which I'm looking forward to. Well, like, she definitely quit because I didn't know she was a girl. Well, you, even just her whole style. Did, her, you, did you know she was a girl? I thought they were allowing her to kind of be a little non-binary until they started referring to her as she and, and things like but that. Even, what I was watching, I was just, I just, I didn't, I wasn't coding as a girl or non-binary. She's 10. Her name is Presley. And in the, in the initial scenes where they had her, very, she, very she short, short hair. And like that. I don't want to say a boy like haircut. I want, you know, Trying not to be stuck on the gender. I think she dyed her hair too many times and they had to cut it, probably because probably, a lot of people again, her with I didn't realize that Presley wasn't a boy. Okay. okay. So I and I it doesn't matter. I'm just saying I thought of you, but I was also and the the you know, the more intersectionality. So I was really glad that she was included or that they were included. Because I, I liked right, is that the parents seemed to let her be. Like in terms of how she expresses herself and stuff like that, like that's what I really liked. But in terms of the the sampling, I think of of trauma or tragic brown came from the Filipino father, and he said very specific. Which I I need people who from the states who don't really get what it's like for brown people who have been colonized by America. I know that people don't like to think of America as a colonizer, Mm. uh, but American imperialism is out there. Like there are some people who will really fight you on this. But Philippines, Puerto Rico, Guam, there yeah. are so many places that the United States claims as a territory and the and the shift of the way they govern very much goes into because well, they're of colonies. They're colonies. they are colonies of America, regardless of what they are called. Mm-hmm. So when when the father says Powell. that his mother that they didn't talk about race, but they they but that colorism was in play, and he says a very important thing. My mother had a strong colonial, colonial mindset. mindset. Yep. And for that, the, that goes in the place of make sure you're light skinned so that you look more white so that white people will not stay be out of the sun. Stay, stay out, out of the sun. sun. Like this is stuff that even happens with my Japanese side, you know, the, yeah. not being darker because Japanese tend to be lighter Asians than other, even East Asians in some cases. Staying out of the sun, but also valuing whiteness. Yes. Like that was the quiet part that was stated in that sentence. Oh, that was a colonial mindset, right? Like when she, when he says that he's talking about, he intentionally didn't engage with other Filipinos in America when he got here because he was 
he was upholding what he was being taught at home, which was Absolutely. the colonial mindset. Absolutely. And he didn't want to be seen as too Asian. And sure. he said, he even said he had the fear when Presley's features started to develop of whether or not she was going to present to Asian. And right. then as he seen her grow and develop, he started to think about race a lot more and actively engage in Filipino spaces. And that, you know, is also going to allow for Presley to develop. Yes. You know, American is. Well, he's got a lot of work to do. He also said selection is when he started engaging with other Filipinos. Which is also completely common in the Asian, in like East and Southeast Asian. They end up aligning more with the conservatives because they they believe that they're being told these are the Christians, these are the good people. Absolutely. And they go for that thing. And, and because the colonial mindset is intact, they think that liberal means brown. Yeah. Well, not just brown, but bad, poor. Bad, yeah. Great. And ultimately black. It no, leads black. to blackness. It, le- it leads to blackness. Leads so if to you're going to pick a side as, as a non-black brown, white people are in power, go that right. direction. Well, so, you know, I mean, nobody, come on now, nobody emigrates here to be on the bottom. Right. I'm sorry. And that includes black immigrants, but that's another, that's a whole nother party. But so for white Asians, you know, in the way that, yeah, you and I have been able to talk about like how it is to interact with black, white, biracial people sometimes that have alignment to whiteness and how we don't speak the same language to them because our alignment is, is blackness. Yeah. Asians are the same for me. I have a hard time communicating with white Asians in comparison to the way that I can communicate with black Asians, because if they bought in to what they were raised with about alignment towards whiteness, they are not much different than a person who has a white identity. Right. Exactly. And and so once the once the white Asian people who've been on the show started to realize that if they stood next to a white person, they looked Asian. And if they stood next to an Asian person, they looked white and that they were going to be treated accordingly, but they weren't always reading it. That's when they started to turn and shift their identity to being more of a mixed person. But up until then, they have a very white understanding. And yes. so. And I've had a representation of that many times throughout the years on the show. And so I think Presley is in a pretty good position right now because they are making those conversations, but had the risk of being very dangerous because they had a white mom that never talked about race and an Asian dad who aligned with whiteness. And until they saw their child, like their child seems to be the impetus to them acknowledging. But Presley doesn't look very asian yeah well presley has the same thing that i see in a lot of white asians is that i'm looking at a person that i can tell is asian i just can't tell necessarily what kind of asian see i don't know but, well, i have to watch presley again but i i would look at presley and go presley might be mixed with something mm-hmm. but I, I didn't admit and again i don't have the same eye you do for that yeah. but i didn't look at if i didn't know presley was mixed I wouldn't, I don't know what I would code Presley as. There's so many white Asians that have that same quality. Like whatever that is that you, that you can see, like when, like I would get these white Asians that would come on the show and they, and I've talked about this several times where they would email me and say like, you know, I want to be a guest on the show, whatever. I'm very white passing. So I don't know if that's going to be hard for the conversation. And I'd be like, no, we're talking about, you're a mixed person. We're going to talk about your identity. And they would pop up on the screen and I would think I had the wrong notes because I'm looking at a person that I'm clearly coding as mixed Asian. 
and they're telling me that they're white passing. And so I remember the first time it happened in particular was uh, the guest, her name was Catherine. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I think I have the wrong person's notes because I have an email that says a white passing person, but like you're Asian. So I'm confused. And then she's like, no, 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 that's me. She's like, what do you mean? So we had this whole conversation of me, me saying, but your face, like, she's like, I look white. And I'm like, but your face. So like Presley has that same quality that would make me say, but your face, like you can, okay, you can read that. Think you're white, but I see an Asian person. Yeah. And, but that's your that weird dynamic that also says yeah. like, if she, if Presley stood next to her white mother, she might code Asian, but right. if she stands next to her Filipino father, she might code white. And that's from the outside. And that is from people in particular, white people, I would say, whose eyes don't make an effort to rework features in where like for me I have my father's face I'm light-skinned I have straighter hair but side by side people could not deny that that man was my father right that doesn't seem to always carry for white Asians though like if they stand next to their Asian parent and kind of look like their Asian parent someone will still think they look white and that baffles me because that doesn't happen again that's an experience that is different well, I think that, right. that varies so for me Presley I, I couldn't code Presley at all but again, I'm not tuned into people mm-hmm. who are mixed white. I haven't grown up with a lot of people who were mixed white and Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, the Asians I grew up with weren't mixed at all. Yeah. For the most part. And the couple I did, they were mixed with black. Mm-hmm. Asian mom, black dad, Korean war. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's real straightforward back, you know, in my in my it's just different, yeah. Well, it was just very straightforward. Oh, okay, Korean War for you know, it's home yeah. for for Lewis. I mean. But for me, I also have my mom and her two siblings are white Asians and they run the they run the gamut from a very white presenting to very semi Asian presenting. Um, And so like, you know, yeah, I have the eye for it. And I thought that that eye was mostly for Japanese and white people, but it it seems to end across all Asians in which at some point I'll be like, I'm not sure what kind of Asian you are, but I'm pretty sure you're a white Asian. Right, know, like, right. that I, I would have that that I and but but Presley I'm glad that they're allowing Presley to express and in, in however uh she wishes to because she was in danger having that combination of parent who was not originally intentional about I you know allowing her to identify with both cultures and stuff like that like she 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 ran the risk of of um probably being white aligned and othered painfully at some point and not having the tools to deal with it. But now that exactly. her father is engaging in Filipino spaces and allowing them to participate, I we think hope uh, she'll get some tools. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. More I mean, and more if she doesn't, the good news about being in the Bay area in a general way is that she doesn't get it from dad and no shade on dad. Yeah. Then she has a higher likelihood when your child is around like a lot of other even if it's not their same mixed, mm-hmm. then they're more likely to have access to language and tools and concepts that can help them navigate their identity, even yeah. if those things don't come directly from their parents. Because right? even like Kamau showed that like they are very intentional about having a lot of mixed friends. Like they have a lot of mixed family. They have a lot of mixed friends, right? And again, you can do that. In a few parts of this country. That in some parts in of a few world, parts yeah. of this country. In a few parts of this country. Yeah. <laughs> Not very many. But yeah. um, 
and again, then if you can afford to live in those places, then that can be a great thing, right? Yeah. Um, but yes, very intentional. And like you said, and then there's mixed people in his family, mm-hmm. in, within his family, which is also not unusual nowadays. So do you yeah, want to talk a little bit on the grandmother's section? Because both of them were monoracial from the older generation of like, yeah, which was, segregation. which was interesting because yeah, the, the grandmother go, 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 living in, growing up in, you know, segregated South and then the California Italian Portuguese mm-hmm. grandmother which, you know, had had no exposure to anybody other than Italians and Portuguese. And like she said, and, uh, and quite understandably, in her context, it was, are you Catholic or not? Yeah, which and we've seen that story play out in Italian mafia movies and all kinds of things. Like, absolutely. we get the idea of, like, a Catholic wouldn't want to marry outside. Right. So that's the that's what kind of forms the identity in the culture. So there's so many. So that's one thing I loved is that in a short documentary, it didn't go on too long, could have easily been a um limited series mm-hmm. but um that they cover they touched on but not just superficially so i want a mm-hmm. really great job of touching on so many of these aspects of mixedness and again from three different generations there was one omission for me okay okay and i mean this comes from y'all first of all this comes from my place of bias <laughs> I try to own my bias. We try to be intentional about and honest. No, no, I, I, well, I try to, I try to own my biases. First of all, you, there's no such thing as a bias-free person. It's not possible. Right. Well, so I try to be aware of and own mine. And when I'm speaking through that lens, then I try to frame it so people understand I'm owning this. Yeah. There were no black women other than his mom. That is true. Now you can't. I mean, sorry. It's just is, the older sister. Well, that's. But she didn't get to speak at all. Well, she wasn't. That's a, yeah, that wasn't. A, no, there were no black women who were parents of mixed children. Yeah. That 22 year old young woman was not a parent. Yeah. There were no black women in the mixed couples. Now, yeah, that's interesting. I am not surprised. Not surprised. Because of the dynamic of the black men who tend to swirl. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did jump out at me. So that's interesting. So last week, my my guest was uh, Maris Litico, who is a, a filmmaker and documentarian and and the founder of the Blended Future Project. Maris has a Black mother and a, a white Latvian father. And I'm curious to see as, uh, so the way the Blended Project is coming out is, is, is more like kind of chunks of smaller stories that'll be a longer, you know, project over over time and whether or not that ends up being like a feature documentary comprised of all these things or they're releasing in small doses here and there it will be I'll be curious to see from a man with that lens of I have a black mother and a white father how the documentaries might read differently from each other and because this one's helmed by a mixed person so my yes, other and, and the is, person is mixed too so there is that also so, so i have an ongoing bias and it it doesn't keep me from consuming or appreciating or valuing content mm-hmm. and again speaking from my bias y'all is i feel a kind of way whenever i see any content about mixedness that is created or led by the monoracial parent of mixed yes, I i'm not going to i'm not saying it shouldn't happen and i understand 
why where we are in the evolution of public mixedness in the United States, why it's that way. Kamau Bell's already a star. Tay Diggs, you know, already. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. People already have platforms. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know all the reasons, but I I tend to be a little bit apprehensive. Mm -hmm. So I want to give Bell, I don't know who his editor was, but he's the director. I want to give him credit because often, and this isn't a slam on the parents, it's just something that if any parents are listening, I'd love them to be aware of. Mm-hmm. When the parents do this, I'm doing a so-and-so about mixed people. I'm like, yeah. how long you've been mixed, boo-boo? Um, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm like, sorry. And how long you have you, even, and, and even when their their kids aren't grown. Yeah. I'm like, because you don't really know enough about the story. But again, that's my bias, y'all. That is my bias. I'm not saying it devalues anything. I'm just, that's the lens I'm looking through. Right. So I do want to give him credit. I do too. For this, because I think, again, this is a wonderful documentary. I completely unreservedly recommend it. Um, as long as people keep the context in mind. And I think that um, the important thing when you're talking about, and I would love to see the blended future. Can we see that? I would, I'm real well, there is um, a section of it is available on blendedfuture.project.com. And okay. it is a a Spanish speaking, I, I actually don't know the, the country of origin, but a Spanish speaking man and a white woman. So in, in this case, what's available is about the interracial relationship itself. Oh, it's about uh, the parents. Okay. So, so yeah, it's so not be- that they don't, I don't believe they have children yet, but it, um, so what is available there? And what he was saying is that as he builds the stories, as he continues to interview more people, um, you know, that's when you'll see like the smaller chunks of what will be the greater, the greater project. And I think in his particular cases, he was focusing on the interracial couples, so that's a flip of it. So Kamal is a monoracial person in an interracial relationship telling a documentary about yeah. this. So, okay, Paris so is a mixed product of two interracial parents who are t- interviewing people of interracial. Interesting. Uh, but I, I was going to so, say so, about Maris. Maris's work is I'm happy because I really am looking forward to the content like Militantly Mixed, mm-hmm. like Nick's Dante and all the other or things that are out there us. that are created by us from our perspectives. Because yes. still, and I also want to say in the final edit, the other thing I worry about when the monoracial parents are helming and creating and directing the projects mm-hmm. is it's real easy and it's unconscious. But it's real easy for the unconscious, what I call romanticizing, fetishizing, yeah, to slip in. It's just, it's a little too easy for that to slip in, right? Yeah. That's and- why when I started and I said this was as good of a documentary about mixed people as as I think can exist, yes. if not yes. created by mixed people, because it was fewer of those moments that make me cringe coming from a monoracial person. Yes. I, I feel yeah. like he, he, he seemed to ask good enough questions to pull out from the kids Yes, or, or the kids were just prepared to talk that let that, that allowed them to talk unimpeded. I yes. Think, yes. For the most part. But I do, I agree with you. I think it is really important to say the context for this documentary is that it's created by a black man in a, in a interracial relationship and they have black daughters that are present in the thing. They also includes his mother and mother-in-law who are also both, well, monoracial, yeah. uh, 
the, the white grandmother might be, I don't, I think her culture is Catholic, not necessarily Portuguese well, culture. Well, it's kind of Portuguese. Portuguese are white. I mean, very, no, I know that they're white. I'm not saying that she's yeah. race. I'm saying maybe multicultural, but I don't really know the yeah. dynamics between the Portuguese and the I Italian think they were just here. doing that to be, you know. Just to put it forward. Yeah. White people don't like to say they're just white. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, um, but so, you um, know, we yeah. we get the perspective of monoracial people definitely present. Yeah. I, I'm glad that we heard more from the kids than we did from yes, yes, the, the monoracial people. And I would be interested to see. Do you remember those that documentary, the like seven and then fourteen? I forget what they were called, but yeah, every 21. seven years, yeah, twenty one, um, twenty one. Mm-hmm. If they came back to this. That'd be interesting. Yeah. 10 and 10 to 11 year old. Like every five years or every three yeah, years. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because um, and I know we need to get out of here soon, but like the dynamic between the 15 year old brother, Khalid, 13 year old brother, Ibrahim, and the, how old was she? I think 10 year old. Yes. Oh, now I've, I've spaced on her name too. No, no, it's okay. Hold on. And this the, is the most oh, no, good, adorable kid. Um, skateboarding girl. Mila? No, Mila was the that was Chinese different. Book. That was yeah. different. What well, Mila was, yeah, right. Mila was different. So you got better recommend. I wrote them down, but I um, wrote all the names down, but I left my notes and I. I know, I know, I know, girl. I know you okay though. I hate that I'm spacing on her name because she was the main focus of that section. Right, 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 right. Um, it's that I know Khalid and I know an Ibrahim, and I think that's why those names. So the skateboard girl, I guess I'll call her since I don't remember her name. And I feel really bad yeah, and I'm looking too, and I'm am I fine? But her? the dynamic between like she described herself as Pakistani, Anissa, African Anissa Ten, Anissa Ten, Paki, black and Pakistani. So she described herself as um, Pakistani and and African American. That was the yes. order. Yes. How she said it. Yes. Well, her brothers described themselves both as black yes. mix. Black, black mix. Yes. Mix. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which I think is is showing that maybe she has slightly more immersion in the Pakistani cultural aspects, maybe than the boys do. Maybe because also she wears hijab when she prays and things like that. That there's there's more. Um, there might be different intentions that happen towards raising her versus towards raising the boys. And the fact that the boys are, they're all in American schools and the boys are going to engage. They're going to be seen. They're going to be treated as black boys. Absolutely. And can we also remind people that siblings often identify differently, Differently, including including using different terminologies. Yeah. So I was actually surprised that the two boys identified similarly, except that the middle brother did say that he was impressed by his older brother. So maybe there's some mirroring going on there. Whereas no, like my really. brother and me are five yeah. years apart. We identify completely differently. And also the way we engaged in culture was completely different. So he and I are not the same, despite right. the fact that we have the same ethnic makeup. Exactly. And hierarchically, my access to blackness, even though we grew up in the same house, I did have more access to blackness than my brother did, you know? So there, there is that, like, um, so to see the, the three kids, I really liked getting, seeing siblings yes. that did identify differently mm-hmm. because while it was just kind of a blip in the documentary, it is so fucking common. And the oh. amount of times I've talked to somebody on Militantly Mixed about if they're aware of how their siblings identify versus them. And in one case, I did have a pair of sisters 
on an episode and they did identify differently, but they were starting to identify similarly as they live together as adults. It's interesting to, it's a thing that I don't imagine a lot of monoracial people anticipate because what they don't probably see in their multiple children is how those kids identify differently when they're not thinking about race as a thing. Right. And, and it might be the same, like the same tools might be happening in what would make one child identify as a basketball player and one child to identify as a black basketball player. You know, like there might right. be things like I mean, that. There's that so many factors that go into how we identify. Yeah. That And, there, and, and you know, the other thing with, with Anissa and her brothers, uh, Khalil and Ibrahim, is like you said, I mean, and there's no way to know. The other thing is when you think about a show like this, okay, and I can say this as a person who's been in media all my life and also as a mom whose kids are now grown, but mm-hmm. the younger kids especially, be, whatever you, whatever we ended up seeing mm-hmm. is one one hundredth of what was shot. I would love to see the, re- the what was on the cutting Approximately. Board. The other thing to know is, and I don't mean this, There's this is not too denigrating this is just a behind the scenes reality these kids were there was there was coaching yes i do because there's coaching. There have to be. adults don't know how to answer a question in audio or t video in a sound bite mm-hmm. and then when you're editing and i know you can attest this you're tearing your hair out yeah because okay. if you don't get multiple like when you do a documentary it's not one and done Mm-mm. You yeah. re-ask the same questions a couple of times, many and times from yes. the better exactly. part, or you're cutting together exactly. a couple of different things, and then so, you're having to not have. I'm sure a lot of the kids said the same thing or versions mm-hmm. of the same thing. So then, which one said it best? And then I like what what Samaya said about this. I like what um, Presley said about that. Yeah. I like what the other kids said about the other. Because there also was a kid who was not named, but was shown twice at the beginning and at the end. Um, he, he was a, I think he was a mixed Asian and white boy. I think he described himself as Asian and American oh, or something like that. They didn't give his name. They didn't give him a name. He wasn't named in that the big letters like the other kids were. But That's at the beginning, he basically just shared what his mix was. And at the end... Kamal says, did I do a good job? Right, 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 right. Yes, you did a good job. Yes. Ask the right questions. You pick the right kid. You right. Know, things like that. And, um, and right. that felt like a weird thing to plug in. That if was weird. From that child. And not identify. Right, right. He needed to, yeah, he bookended it, but you didn't get him in the, good point. Yeah, because there was other children that you saw clips of, but you never saw speaking. They were just right. cut away. So right. if you're going to, if you're going to name every child, yeah. But, one who did get speaking time but did not get named mm. that part i thought was a little bit strange that and i you know who knows what the reason is for it you know i'm not the one working on the documentary but was it important to share that a mixed kid said i did the right thing yeah, yeah that was okay. there were i that was like the strangest part to me because yeah, i that I was inappropriate like, i mean I, i'm not gonna lie i don't i don't consume kamal's other work and if there's sure. nothing wrong with it. It's just, I don't think I'm in his target audience. I don't know. Maybe I could consume and go, oh yeah, I really like him. I don't dislike him at all. I don't have, a, I don't, I didn't come into this with a preconceived notion about him. So, or his work, but mm-hmm. that thing at the end, there were a couple questions that made it through the final edit. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad you mentioned that your boy at the end. Cause I was like, yeah, what was his name? And you're right. Cause I wrote down everybody's name and age. Yeah. And Cause I wrote everybody's and name their down. Mix, and their mix. Yep. 
I actually that's- dug him down as unnamed boy. I did not look at the credits to pull his name, but when I wrote my right. notes, I wrote unnamed boy. Right. But that's a really good point. But also, like you said, wasn't necessarily, did I do a good job? That's the kind of thing, if I had had a role, I would have said, yeah, take that out. It doesn't make the final cut. I would have ended on our little girl with the corgi and love. Lama and Corgi she, and love. She was very cute. I really. Uh, I mean, uh, she was. Her. She was. Yeah, she made. She was a big deal in the trailer, saying that. You know, I. Yeah. You know, but that's a good point. So I think that. Yeah, I was glad he wasn't on camera and and really centering himself. Yeah. You know, but I did. Like I said, it was the. But the best because that's thing. usually how his docs work. Like he's usually the the focused interactor. Yeah. Um, so like when, with his, uh, um, I, I forget what it's called. This is America, something like that, where he would like go into these places that normally a black man is not present and he would interact. You would get real nervous for him and things like that or whatever. Right. But, you know, it was about his experience in those things. Um, in this case, I do think the mixed people got to talk more. But unless the editor was mixed, which I don't know, I should have probably tried to find that out before we, we discussed this. You know, you're still getting the story as told by and to a monoracial person, even though that monoracial person has an interracial relationship and makes kids. What I do think is the difference about this versus other things that I've seen and even what motivated me to do Militantly Mixed to tell the story for us, by us, about us, is that I he still let mixedness be present. He and wasn't, centered and centered. And centered. He wasn't dictating what we are right. supposed to feel like as a mixed person. Right. Um, and of course, again, with a documentary, people don't realize how much is coach. So there might be right. a little bit more coaching. The thing is, a kid can't articulate something that they don't already know well. You know, like right. a seven-year-old is not going to be able to convey as much if they're even if they're regurgitating what they're told they're not going to be able to nail it as well as some of these kids did. Some of these kids could speak very well and use language that, that we have seen develop. You and I have seen develop over the last few years. They're having access to these conversations earlier than a lot of us did. And so this is how it's coming through. Mind you, I'm sure they had a number of inarticulate children who were just talking or distracted or like, why am I even here? You know, what or is may have said things that were great, but didn't fit into the document again, as a journalist, that, right. I interview I, people all the time and then nothing of theirs ends up in the final piece. Yeah. So, I mean, you, cause and you know, I have had some people I've recorded with that didn't end up on right. the show you as can't. well. And yeah. it's not that I'm centering their censoring no. their story. It it's has that, to work. It ha- it it has to work like in my case it usually has to do with the dynamics of the speaker like it, if I can't pick them up or something like that or if it's like pulling teeth to get answers and I have to kind of wonder why did they want to to be on the show it might not be that they wanted to be on the show it might have been that they wanted to talk to a mixed person and that part was achieved right yes so yes. there there are choices that we have to make as content creators absolutely um, that might shield the full story a little but yes. what what i said at the beginning and in and incorporating what you said near the end i i think stands is that it's as it's as good of a documentary about mixed people made oh, yes. by a non-mixed person as there could be yes um it does feel for the most part very honest it left in some of the uncom- uh, uncomfortable truths oh yes while not necessarily oh, yes. being cringy 
yes. which I think is important. Now, from a journalistic position, would it have been better to show us more of the darker side? Yes, no, maybe. Is there another version of this documentary that shows the darker side? Yes, no, maybe. But sometimes it is just nice to not have the tragic. Right, we got that. We got past the tragic. The other thing that um, Kaylin, also known as Minnie Maine, said that I really loved. Um, she said, "You know, being told because her mix is she's got a dad who's black, white, a mom who's Korean and black, mm-hmm. and one of the cringy moments, but really honest, and I appreciated it." was when, and she apologized to her mom. Yes, sorry, mom, don't be mad. <laughs> mom, mom, don't be mad. And then Kamal came in, but hold on, we'll do this. This is how her Black Korean mom, when she was transferring to a new school, had her had her check white and Asian, because mm-hmm. Black might be a problem. And then Kamal Harris literally had to come in and say, now, uh, a word, uh, yeah. whatever the mom's name is, is definitely proud of being Black. And I'm like, no, she ain't. <laughs> but anyway, and I, look, I didn't, I don't care. That woman isn't important to me, even though she's mixed. Right. But I'm like, come out, really, you didn't need to do that because that actually called more attention to it. Yeah, that did give you a kind of like all lives matter moment there. Yeah, it, and it that being said, way. I also think that that is a thing for some people. Like there are some, in the same way that the story I told earlier about the black man who tells his son to keep quiet yeah, without giving more context, there's probably a version of that with that mother, but we're not going to know that because we didn't get that story. We didn't get that and story. So I didn't, I thought him popping in to defend her blackness, like she was like, you know, she she threatened him. But anyway. Something was that, like, because these are children. The parents do have to sign off on oh, presence and Well, they have to sign off before, and then they have to see what the before, kids say. And then they got to see. So yeah, everything, probably- everything, y'all, there are, there are. But an HBO, there are boatloads of lawyers and everything. Yeah, yeah and you know, that. like hurt feelings can sometimes blind a person from what the greater importance of why right. that is told. Right. What was important to me about about her telling the story is that a lot of us mixed kids have that coming from our own families. Exactly, from yes, our, our families yeah. love us and they want to protect us, and sometimes the way they protect us causes harm yes that would have been a better direction to go down yes. in that moment is um and again you need a mixed person i think to tell that story you need a mixed person better. there's no way a monoracial person is going to have that insight because so like I, if thought, I yes. cut in in that moment and yes. said and said yes. listen <laughs> no no shade to the moms, but this is another. This example. happens in our families. We are literally told by members of our families who love us, but they might not love the people we're mixed with out in the world. Or they might not love aspects of our mixedness, whether it's or they might not love it. And there are things that, like, we get harm gets caused by people that we love and who love us. And you got a half that, black mama. You got a half black mama who told you to not check black. And it's probably because something that happened to her and she oh, had well, damage from that and then she caused a different reason. damage trying exactly. to, in an effort probably to protect her child. Absolutely. She, she we understand that. Damage. But I'm also and glad Miss Kaylin, a.k.a. Minnie Man, called her out. Now, let's get Kaylin on the show. She's 16. Um, maybe get the older ones on the show. And Uncle Greg. But anyway, um, another thing Uncle she Greg. said, what I liked about her, well, I'm claiming her, as a niece and cousin, is she addressed the black gatekeeping on social media? Yeah, actually, that yeah, that that was an 
that she addressed again, that's a that's something that's happening to this generation that was not happening that, to you. That has I. not happened before. Exactly. Yeah. So she addressed that. It, you know, if you if you weren't tuned in like we are to that as a as a big deal, then you might just float by. And it's just sometimes I also I feel almost excluded. The other thing is that like you. What's interesting is in the hierarchy of mixes in the United States, mm-hmm. there are certain mixes that people are more familiar with, therefore more comfortable with, mm-hmm. know how to process. Nobody knew how to process Kamala Harris, where her mix in the Caribbean and some parts of Africa are so common, it's not even a thing. Yeah. You know, but um, that, you know, like you, it, she's got a complex mix and she's an MGM, two biracial parents. Yeah. But anyway, I love that she addressed the black gatekeeping on social media. And that she was just really clear and that she called out her mom, not in a negative way, but like you just said, and all, listen, I'm a parent and I'm mm-hmm. sure that there were things that I did out of love and the th- well-meaning that caused my children harm that I wasn't sure. conscious of. I think that's just inevitable, but in this case, it's, it's couch. I, I'd like to give a shout out to my homie. So my homie is the 80 some year old man, Roy Allen Harris, and he was so cute, who was originally from Seattle. I'm guessing he was living in the Bay Area too. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born 13 years before me, okay, in Seattle, Washington. And he, like he said, I had no idea, I have no idea. Oh, what I, the most important thing he said was, um, and I love this because another mixed friend, when we, that he it was in the trailer, said, Teresa, you said this like just last week somewhere, <laughs> which is the parents of these children, quote, Yes. Have no idea what the experience will be for this child they bring into the world. Yeah. That needs to that this that's a, a whole girl, that's a whole documentary. That's its own, yeah. That is its own thing. That's to, a documentary to look right there, y'all. That's a documentary right there that needs to be made by mixed people, right? But that was super important. And then I also love that he said, you know, I don't need you to validate who I am or and what I am, who I am or who I'm not. My favorite way that he put that was, I'm not going to argue with you and your mama. (laughs) You guys can feel the way you feel about me. Exactly. Good. I validate myself. I validate Um, myself. And I think that's beautiful because that, again, he's he's a generation above me. He's not a boomer. He's not even a boomer. So, you know, you've got a whole nother generation, which I just love. And I, so I had to shout him out. Also, I random side note about him. When they showed pictures of him young, he had very textured hair. But as an old man, he has very straight, um, uh, you know, white hair. Like, y'all, like, wait, y'all go ahead and get older. Y'all yeah. go ahead and get older. My hair was never this straight. My hair is getting curlier. Okay. Way well, you as I'm getting older. As you get older. Okay. And some of it is, is color because my silvery hair i don't know what texture they are they are completely disrespectful but i like that nothing <laughs> they tend I've to done, be straighter so it's interesting not, they're not straighter but they're something i don't know what they are but guess, yes, yeah that often just fyi that often happens to many people of many races as you get older your hair texture often gets straighter changes, sometimes you yeah. get so i just think it's interesting to like to get to see that visually even though it's not re- it's not marked on but again it might not be marked on because it's a monoracial dude telling the story and it was something that stood out so strong to me i was um, like what is my old manny mains mixed hair looking like <laughs> like I, I like i can't wait to see it because my hair has changed texture so many times throughout my life that i'm really curious and it again that was a mixed person looking at a mixed person and going, how are yep. we going to be the same and how are we different? Yep. Um, the other thing, and maybe this will just be a little bit longer episode, is the the Black and Japanese therapist. 
that was one of the examples of an adult. So there was two adults, I guess, that they highlighted. There was Roy Erica. Erica. And Erica. Roy and Erica were like the two mixed adults, just the to show us, just to show us different kinds of mixed adults and and stuff like that. And of course, she and I, like, I can relate to her heavily because we have a very similar mix, of course. Yes. But she talked about the thing that children did do, and I think while I am older than her, I had a, a little bit of a version of what she described, which is the you're very whitewashed. Yes, and she says how there's no rule book how is a black and japanese person supposed to move how how am i supposed to be out in the world and what other people are perceiving as maybe whiteness could just be the neighborhood she lives in yeah also how do you live your black japanese ass life in front of people it looks different than what well there's no there's no template whatsoever like there's her black and japanese Live, lived out loud might look a lot different than my black and Japanese lived out loud. And yet we may have very similar experiences and very similar families. And I loved how many, t- like th- this is what people need to understand when they're interacting with us and they're confused. And this is what, like, you are the ones that are confused. We are not confused. Thank you. We are not confused. And I love <laughs> like, that. Even if we don't yes. know how to maneuver in some spaces, that does not mean we're confused. Look exactly. at that seven-year-old girl. She said with her whole chest, I am black, Asian, corgi, llama, husky. And love. You know, she, and love, like she, she is, she knows what she loves yes. and it is a part of her identity. And yes. for me, the way I maneuver as a mixed black person is it, it does not invalidate my blackness. The fact yeah. that I'm part Japanese and and, and white British does not invalidate the black kid that I grew up as. No, not at all. The way that I move is authentic to myself. And so like thinking about like gatekeeping and you know what some of the kids did bring up, I was taken by surprise. I had been a member of a group that is a very popular social group that if I named a lot of people would be like, oh no, because it's a very hella black, awesome social space for us to go in like you said earlier they were addressing a mixed related thing and so because they were addressing a mixed related thing i said coming from the mixed delegation da 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 and the admin of that organization said oh someone came in here crying mixed tears didn't realize this conversation wasn't about her and i was not crying mixed tears i was actually uplifting some of the things that were being said but all i was noting was that there wasn't a mixed person talking about the mixed topic right and so i was ejected from that very very popular group what made me sad about it was that a lot of the social aspects of that group is still very meaningful to me but the admin showed themselves, the creator of that social group showed themselves to be anti-mixed. I don't know what the context of why they be, they were that way or whatever, or why they read what I said as me crying mixed tears. It, it had nothing to do with you. That is literally, that's what I was referring to earlier. Yeah. When, when these conversations first started happening, they were usually not, well, I don't know, because I'm not in a lot of white spaces, to be perfectly honest, but they were, you the ones I saw and still see were usually helmed by monoracial black women. And I think there's a there's just a resistance. I think what it is, because I've got kicked out, it's, I said, of a lot of them too. Of course, fortunately, it didn't stop either one of us, but as y'all can tell. But 
you know, and I go toe to toe with them any day. And I said, this isn't I would still uplift certain aspects of that group. Well, no, I, well, but, but, um, but, yeah, <laughs> but, but what I want to say about that is I, at first I was just kind of like, why are you, my thing was, why are you so invested in my identity? Cause this is not reciprocal. I have no interest in how you identify, move the world. But then I realized the investment that might be a future app that, that black women have in the United States, at least in all this swirling and the relationships and the children. And that's a conversation and that's not to vilify anybody or that's not to justify what they're doing but it's just some insights i've had over the years because i've kept asking myself why are you why is this but so like you said i think it's a reflexive superficial you know it's very jacked up but oh don't come in here with mixed tears that that's just a reflexive reaction mm-hmm. jerk like no matter because they did it to me too and i'm like and to be fair, the culture does show us as tragic. So to well, assume that a lot of us, does, but I'm like, no, nah, but, but if that's what if, if that's people's real only interaction with what makes people, I don't think argue, it's. I, they I, might I, assume that we all walk around with this. I promise you, it's not their only interaction. Not 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 since 1970. I mean, no, it's not their only. Yes, it's a it's a stere, it's a stereotypical thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's no, I have a whole nother, but we'll have to. Yeah, I mean, because like I've just seen people over the years that uh, the way they've interacted with me changed over time because the more they were exposed to me, the more they realized I wasn't the one crying the tears, you know, like it was a lack of exposure. Well, one of the things is social media does not enable, I mean, it's superficial communication. No, there's no tone. You can't, you're not communicating with another human in a way that gives you a sense, the sensory input you need. To be able to go, okay, show me. Tell, that's interesting. Tell us what you're saying. Well, get out of here. Just naming yourself so. as mixed ends up what? being a personality from the way social media puts it, right? And it's like well, that's it. light skin's a per- yeah, exactly. So, everybody's got their personality. The thing that you identify as is kind of part of your personality. So just it's fine. It doesn't have to be a negative. And right, cases. it doesn't have to be negative, and it doesn't. It isn't always part of your personality. Yeah. But I so I love this documentary. Another thing I love that Erica, the adult black Japanese therapist said, I'm glad she's a therapist, is that was really important that I want people to really, you know, jot down is some, some people think that, you know, being mixed race means we don't have to do the work around racism. So she's highly... We need to get her on the show. Yeah, I, actually, she. I wrote it down. I was like, try to find Erica. <laughs> yeah, we got to find Erica. We're going to find Erica. Um, I also think it's super important that people in therapy, like that there is a Black and Japanese person yes. in therapy. Both yes. Black cultures and Asian cultures in America share yes. an aversion to therapy and to wellness in, yes. in that respect. Both cultures think different ways. You either need Jesus or you need more exercise or you need to eat better or you need, there's all these things you need that isn't just therapy. Right. Well, and a so, lot of mixed people need mixed therapists. So whether even yes. if this doesn't exactly mix you. Yes. But the other thing she said that, that, but we live in a deeply racist society and there's a lot of danger in not talking about race and racism. So I wanted to share that quote from her because that was absolutely essential. Yes. And I think that's what we're talking about is a lot of the young kids in this, in this documentary, the young people um, are equipped they're the Very most equipped generation we've ever seen. They're a nice representation, a good, a diverse representation of young people, I think seven to 16-ish years old, who are who are ve- more equipped 
to have mm-hmm. these conversations. They're highly conscious, like you said. They're they're comfortable in mixedness because they're in mixed space. They they grew up in mixed environments, mm-hmm. and for the they have parents conscious enough and comfortable enough. All the parents, even if it took them a while to get there, yeah, to go on to go on to be in a documentary telling their business. I mean, come on, let's be real. So. You know, there's a, there's a high level of consciousness. So I think it's a, I think the documentary ends up showing some of the good things parents of mixed kids can do to raise healthy, grounded kids. I think if they, you know, I think that's really, it'll be fun to see what different mixed people feel about Mm -hmm. the documentary. But to me, that's why it makes sense for, you know, Kamal Bell to have made it. He's making it as a, as a monoracial parent who's in a swirly marriage, who has three mixed daughters. And so I got the impression, the kind of, that what was driving the documentary was he was really trying to, he was trying to learn. I think so. And I like I liked that posture of his. I think a, a, a girl dad's reading of mixedness is a lot different than a boy mm-hmm. dad, maybe. Uh, right. Because my, my co-host and close friend from my other show, Sean Bay is also a girl dad and he's a mixed person raising mixed children. And the thoughtfulness that I've seen in him as a parent, knowing that I've known him since we were eight years old, and he definitely had all the makings of a person who could have gone full douchebag bro guy, you know, because he was a football player and all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying that the daughters made him change. He w- he went down the path already to be thoughtful right. about life. And then he happens to have daughters. But I-, I could see some parallels in aspects of what Kamal would say in- and comparing it to my friend who also has mixed daughters. And But in this case, he's a mixed person. So he's a little bit more mindful about things. The last thing that I really want to make sure uh, I-, I mentioned too, and I just because I didn't have my notes sitting in front of me, uh, a thought just triggered is the Costa Rican white and indigenous mixed child, yes. Kanani. Her father, when when the white, this was one of those moments that um, that I think white parents of mixed race children and white members of interracial relationships need to hear what happened. This white mother was so ill-equipped in dealing with what happens to brown people that she read a moment completely different than the father. And thank goodness that child had the father there in the moment. So what had happened was that at the playground, they had intentionally decided, and this is, look, this is best intentions, right? This is a white woman who learned Spanish and was raising her child to speak Spanish before going to school. Yeah. Which that's a real questionable decision to me, but it's a, it's a question, but with, you assume with good intention, she was like, let's make sure she speaks Spanish so she can communicate to her family back home. But then she'll learn English because she'll go to school. Yeah, I was like, baby, that's where she's going to learn English though. She may have had best intentions there. But on the playground, when her child isn't school age yet, she is getting in tips with other children because they cannot communicate. And the other parents are telling her, you need to teach your kids, your kid English now because she is not... You're handicapping that kid. You can't send her off to school thinking she'll learn English in school. Yeah, I had a lot of questions. That mother. But then when the, so the mother is like, oh my gosh, now this makes me reevaluate how I need to raise my child. But the father put her, his child here and said, they will always make, try to make us adjust to them. And that's true too. Yes. So both things are at play because is it better to. But I, I, as a parent, I have to say to have her. She'll learn, she'll learn English at school. 
I'm like, that's not how this works. I mean, I appreciate the idea of raising a child with the language they're going to have less access to more often, okay. but it you still could, should not be the school's responsibility to well, teach the child. First of all, it's not going to work in your, unless you're sending her to ESL. And number, what would and have happened. Yeah, number they, two, number two, it is very, well, I can't say whether it's easy, but there are a bajillion children all over the world who are raised to be bi, tri, quadra, and whatever yeah. else word lingual in the home. Yeah. I would have said, if I had anything to say about it, raise her bilingual in the home. She's got, she can't go to school unless you're sending her to an ESL school. And I've heard the opposite from mixed kids who were raised with multi-languages. Like even on the show, an episode in January, uh, a guest talked about how difficult it was learning two languages in the household at the same time and how it, it, it added to the uh, isolation that they felt once they were in school. Mm. And my, my stepmother was an ESL teacher too. She did speak Spanish and English, but most of her kids were mixed between Spanish speaking kids and Cambodian kids. So she couldn't communicate she right. shared language with the Cambodian kids, but those ESL programs, I mean, not all of them are perfect and great and everything like that, but well, that's what have, that would have been what that kid ended up in. That, that she would have had to you can't again yeah, you, so. just can't send you don't her. just throw them into regular school you and be like, she'll learn English. I still English. think the responsibility what what made me view this as a negative for the white parent and what I want white parents to be aware of is that there is nothing you should plan on only the school being responsible for teaching your child but language in particular you right. definitely shouldn't put the burden of change of teaching your children only on your child if right. you want your child to be bilingual make and you make the choice to only speak say spanish for the first few years okay fine you only speak spanish the kid has an ear for spanish but once they start speaking more often why don't you have an an English speaking tutor in there. If you don't want to confuse them with the, what your but the parents mother wasn't, The mother wasn't naturally Spanish speaking. No, like, yeah, but I think what she didn't need because of what I've heard from other bilingual children when they talk about how confusing differentiating Eng English and other languages are at home is because okay. the, par the parents are speaking both languages. But if um, you have a different person speaking a different language, then you can associate everything this person tells me is associated with this language and everything this person tells me is associated with this language. And it gets easier for them to separate, I think. But my whole point about that was that the parents should not have relied on the school being the reason Absolutely. why she yeah. learned language. Exactly. The other important lesson in that moment from the brown father, the father to the brown child is we don't always need to align to whiteness. Whiteness right. will always try to get us to change. And and he's acknowledging, like, he left his home. He left his village. He's acknowledging he has a white partner. He's right. obviously acknowledging that there are things it's going to be important. Maybe that's also the motivation behind teaching the child exclusively Spanish in the home was to make sure she had a taste of home, you know, yes. in there. Yes, she visited Costa Rica twice a year. And what I really love that she said is they treat me like a community member. Yes. And that I'm, again there, is there I'm a member of the community. Of brown people, you know, yes. that, that I think is missing in whiteness is that they don't necessarily yeah. feel like a community where almost every type of brown person has their version of community within the culture. And even though sometimes we don't always get a get along or agree, you're not you know, you didn't nod the right way. So you're not coding black or you don't speak Spanish, but you're Latino, you know, like there's all yeah. kinds of things like that. But at the end of the day, 
we as brown people have more sense of community with people that are like us than than white people do. And so yeah. I think there were two good lessons that were happening there, mm-hmm. but they were completely different. They were a lesson to a white parent and a lesson to a brown parent. Um, very good. And what I, I wrote, this is, yeah, Kanani 11, um, that she was very wise and aware. And one of the things I like that she said, well, two things. I like that she said in her school, um, there were different presentations yeah. on different cultures, but there wasn't one on Native American culture. So she decided, she <laughs> she went in yeah. and told them about this. So they gave her a whole assembly to do a whole presentation, which again, go ahead, Kanani. Kanani. And then also she said, sometimes it's hard for people to understand when I tell them all the things that I am. Um, She likes getting to learn language, Costa Rican traditions, but sometimes it's hard when I tell people, again, she's not coding right on the binary. Dad's Costa Rican, her mom's, it says Latina, white and Native American. I don't know where the Native American exactly landed, but like you said, and I think that was really important about the teaching her exclusively Spanish. I would have been like, well, you know, Unless you're in a part of the United States where Spanish is the primary language, then I could see, make an argument for it. I mean, I'm, but I was, and you're right. I don't know how. I don't know what it's like to grow up in a bilingual household. I don't know what it's like to raise kids bilingually. I will admit that. I don't. Yeah. So I don't have that experience. So out of my ignorance, though, I do know that even if it's hard for people, and there's monoracial people who grow up bilingually as yeah. well, that as a parent, um unless I'm presented with evidence to the contrary and maybe there are ways to do it that are better. I'm guessing there are, because it's not a new phenomenon by any way means um, that it's possible without traumatizing your child. So to prepare them to function in the world outside the home, that unless they were going to completely homeschool her in Spanish for 12 years. Because it just read as I'm just going to put my kid in school and she'll learn English Right. Which, Instead which, of like an yeah. intentional learning of English, like, okay, exactly. on, on, at, from, from 5 p.m. Yeah. to 7 p.m., we're going to speak English or or something where something. you're doing it. Something. Yeah. something. I, I noticed like with the friends that I grew up with that were bilingual, a lot of them stopped using whatever the home language was once they got into school because right. they wanted, they didn't want to be an other. So there's also the cultural aspect of like forcing your child into otherness that's going to, that's already present. They're already going to be treated like an other, but then you give them a language otherness, you know? So there's a lot of different ways in which it's difficult. And like, for me, I had, I had some words that I only knew in Japanese and, and, and the English equivalent. Well, yes, English is my native language. I still have to translate those words in my head because right. I learned them in, in, in Japanese first. Right. And while it didn't cause me nearly as much trouble as it caused like my mom, my mom got in actual fights as a child because of it. You know, like there, I don't think you can do it completely zero harm, but in the way in which you don't prepare your child or, or that you are expecting the school to handle something that you need to be also handling at home. Like, yeah. Okay. You may not know chemistry. And so you can't, teach your child chemistry, but a language, you know, you can't say the school will teach my child the language that I also know. Sex ed, don't make sex ed just be a thing in school. Teach your children about that stuff at home too. You know, things like that. The the way I experienced it back in the olden days was um, I was probably the first generation driver's ed Mm -hmm. and the concept of a learner's permit. Mm -hmm. And my mother didn't grow up with driver's ed. 
My mother was born a hundred years ago this year. Um, so, you know, so I'm in the 1960, late 60s, early 70s, going to high school and you had to take driver's ed. And my mother's thing was, they will teach you how to drive in driver's ed. Well, what I learned in driver's ed was they expected you to come into driver's ed knowing how to operate a motor vehicle. They oh, put my behind on the freeway in rush hour. To this day, <laughs> I have a phobia. But no, I'm just saying, to me, oh that's God. what I'm learning. Now, I'm not mad at my mama. And it's but all she crazy. may not have known, too. Like She didn't. She didn't. Drivers, what I, I haven't Googled it, but I promise you, driver's ed did not exist long before I took it yeah. in the 60s and 70s. Okay, y'all, come on. I'm not, I wasn't mad at my mother, but it stood, it was clear. And I went to a mostly white high school, a mostly wealthy white high school. Yeah. It was very clear when I got into the class and they sat me behind the wheel of a car and the instructor sitting so next to me. He never had car time. He's like, go. I'm like, I, I don't know how to drive. And they, he was like, what? And that I'm using that as an analogy, y'all. I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah. I'm not blaming my mother at all. That's what it reminded me of. She didn't yeah. know. There was nobody to tell her that. Yeah. But language with a preschool age child, you and you're a whole English speaking white and whatever else woman you are. Yeah. It never occurred to you that your kid might need to know some English to function in the world outside the house. I'm sorry. Yeah, that 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 is that thing felt very much like you you overcorrected your whiteness. You overcorrected. That's a good way to put it. Like you tried too hard to woke, I think. And um, (laughs) that's a really good way. That's an excellent way to put it, girl. (laughs) Excellent. But that reminds me of the driver's ed. Yeah. Like everybody else knew how to drive. That's crazy. Yeah, for me, we never had drive time. We only learned rules in driver's ed, and your parents were responsible for teaching right. you how to drive. So see, uh, it was different. Different. Is, yeah, because totally I was going different. to the wealthy white school though, cross town. Okay, so maybe maybe I don't know what they were doing me. in my neighborhood high school. I can't tell you. I have to ask somebody. But the point yeah. is, parents, yeah. if you're listening, it, good intentions are a beautiful thing, or just not knowing. Nobody. Get, I don't blame people for ignorance or not knowing. I sure. don't. It's but in the information age, you can find out a little something, something. So, but yes, I like that. But I like the fact that these young people in this wonderful documentary and the way that Kamau Bell handled it, interviewed the kids, directed it, and edited it, supervised the editing, whatever. Um, I think it is beautifully representative. It elevates the conversations. Yeah. It adds it, it shows nuance and complexity that I've never seen before. I would agree with that, yeah. Layers and levels of nuance and complexity, usually coming from the perspective of the young people, mm-hmm. that I don't think America's ever seen before. No. Because if it had been out there, you and or I would know about it already. Would know about it, yeah. <laughs> I would assume that the, the early audience of this is going to be mixed families. Oh, yeah. I would hope that we are able to convince our monoracial friends and family members and stuff like that to also engage in it. Yes. Um, if, if anything, just to, to have some tools to discuss race within their monoracialness yes. and also to prepare them for the belief that we as mixed people are also regular ass people. You know, we just happen to also have different races or different cultures or different languages at home. Um, and whatever the thing is that makes your family different, like maybe you're all soccer players. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't come from a soccer family. Let's talk about soccer. Maybe 
from a documentary like this, you can also be like, I'm a monoracial white family. I don't want my children to be actively racist. I'm going to try to give them the tools to be actively anti-racist. And what a good way to learn is from people that come from different races and they're already, they've already recorded it. They already got paid or didn't get paid. It's already available. So you're not burdening, you know, a friend or family member with unpaid race labor. You can start here and from there find other tools. Um, So I really do hope that it eventually spreads to a non monoracial or to a non mixed race um, population. But I'm, I'm, I'm assuming given what I've just seen in a lot of the mixed groups and the mixed people that we also know and share um, the amount of mixed people who immediately posted about it. um, Some were wary of watching it because they didn't want to be disappointed. Some were eager and excited about it. Um, Some were more focused on the parenting aspects of it, you know, things like that. So I, I would still say, that I also went into it with trepidation because I tend to, you know, anytime you talk about race or mixedness and it's not done by one of us, even when it's done by one of us, to be fair, even when it's yeah. done by one of us, I'm it also still cautious. Be problematic. It, it can still, still be problematic. There are still mixed podcasters and mixed um, content creators out there that are putting out problematic material. I'm doing my best to not, but I don't know the, I, I'm not yet aware of the ways in which I might, be problematic when I find something or when something brings it to my attention, I work on it and I discuss it on the show. Yeah. But, you know, I would, I had, I walked in with a, a cautious, I was cautiously optimistic. I I'm familiar enough with Kamal's work to feel like that. I believed he was going to be thoughtful, but in the way that you could be thoughtful and still not tell a good story because you don't come from that environment, I was worried would happen. For the most part, I don't think that happened. I think it was still a very thoughtful and and for the most part, very well put together project. But at the end of the day, it still comes from the perspective of a monoracial person that's in an interracial relationship and is raising mixed kids. So he has multiple levels of removal from yes. what the experience of growing up mixed actually is. Um, what, and he did a little bit of fawning. A little bit. There, there, I mean, it, wasn't, it wasn't horrible, y'all. And it yeah. wasn't as much as I had feared or expected. Right. I thought there would be more. The one phrase I think that might have been kind of on the cringe point was the comment about the grandmothers loving their mixed grandchildren. Adorable mixed grandchildren. Adorable mixed grandchildren. And fair, you hope that the grandparents love their mixed grandchildren, but do you need to call them your mixed grandparents grandchildren. mixed grandchildren or right. could you just call them your grandchildren and yeah. we just get from context that they are mixed. that was cringy that was um, definitely so cringy. that would be like my biggest like oh you did it you know you did the thing oh i'm sure um, look i'm sure he did it a whole lot more than we saw in the final edit probably yeah yeah <laughs> no, but sure like i like i said i stand by what i said at the beginning it is as good a documentary yes. created by a non-mixed person as is possible i yes. do feel that mixed people in general were fairly represented yes. um as much as you can be from the perspective of a monoracial person in an interracial relationship raising mixed race kids <laughs> living that, in the san francisco bay living area, in, the san francisco in area. great affluence in a very in that particular part of the country with the culture that is so specific there. because we could tell a lot of those families were pretty crunchy bay area they were like, all crunchy. no there was everybody in it was from the bay area yeah 
I mean, um, that, they said that in the publicity. So. No, yeah, I wasn't saying it, but the crunchiness of the Bay Area. Oh, it's so crunchy. Type of crunchiness. Oh, this was uh, maybe, I, I felt granola flying out of my screen. Just flying, just, so just much granola. Of it all and I'm a, look, y'all, I'm a, I'm a left coast hippie, so. Like, you know, I, I, I was a left coaster that wanted to be a right coaster. Then I got to the right coast and I was like, oh, damn, I'm a left coaster. So I get it. I get it. Like California is strong in this one. And um, the Bay Area is a part of California that I do love a lot. So I get it. Who doesn't get love the Bay Area? Right. I get it's it. lovable. But yeah, but, it's, very, uh, it's very cute, very crunchy. So, so. But I agree with you. And I would say... First of all, I think it's really going to be very positive for mixed people of all generations and mixes to watch because I think it's a great conversation starter. Yeah. And I think, again, we're seeing a more evolved, we're seeing and hearing a more evolved conversation with the complexities, the nuances, and the diversity among mixed people than we've ever seen. I've, I've never seen anything this diverse at all. Maybe it'll be a great way to get grandparents in the conversation. Grandparents too. and parents. I also and parents. want, I want, I want adults, I want monoracial and mixed adults who are dating, who might be swirling in any way, shape or form. This is required viewing for you before you conceive and or give birth to the baby. Okay. I would, yeah. if, I were, if I could make this mandatory viewing for <laughs> every know. parent, for every potential parent of a mixed child, I would do that. You know how Catholics require some kind of training ahead of the wedding? Yeah. Any interracial couple? At least watch this. I mean, there's much more to be said and all that. It's a great beginning. Yeah. Um, but, but if yeah. you're planning on having mixed children as an interracial person, I hope that you engage mixed race therapists in advance or oh. take a program similar to Sarah's mixed race family yes. course or um, Dr. Jen. Dr. Jen's mixed race families course yeah. as well. Like you can't just make these babies no. and think Ooh. that they're going to be like you. They are not going to be, they are like, not going to be you. like you. And you can't just think they're going to be fine. Even if you're raising them in the affluent, crunchy granola, San Francisco yeah. Bay area, shout out. And no matter where you're raising them, no matter what your economic level is, you, you, you it's what my, my homeboy, it is what my homeboy <laughs> said. Mr. <laughs> Roy. Like, I want to go meet him. He's so cute. I'd be like, are you single? Uh, I thought he was kind of cute. Um, but it's like he said, you have no idea. You have no idea what this child's going to go through. Okay. Because you can't have any idea. Okay. You can't have any idea. And so I think that, and again, kudos to Kamala and them and everybody watch the documentary and there's, then share your views about it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how other content creators in the mixed game are going yes. to 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 view this. Um, so I, I am looking forward to it. So if you're out there and you uh, are listening to the show and you are also a fellow fellow content creator of some sort, um, blogger, YouTuber, podcaster, whatever, um, and you if you do discuss uh, a thousand percent me growing up mix, uh, I would love to get a tag or an email yeah, or something like that so, so I can engage with it. Cause um, yes, you know, it's not just our perspective. It's not, you know, we're not the end all be all type of perspective just cause we happen to be mixed. Uh, you know, other mixed people might read this completely different than we do. Uh, East coaster might read it different than yes. the crunchy granola West coaster, you know? Yep. Um, 
So yeah, I'm really curious about how that is. Uh, before we get out of here, though, I know this was a long episode, but before we get out of here, just a reminder that while the books are closed on submissions for the Be Your Mix SF anthology, Auntie Teresa and I are in the reading phases yes. uh, right now. We still intend for this to be released sometime this summer. Uh, so that's where we're at. We're, it's not done. We are just in our reading phase yep, and we are currently fundraising for uh, some of the production fees. So if you would like to help support us getting this book published, uh, please go to militantlymix.com and click on the Be Your Mix S Self Anthology tab. And as you scroll down towards the bottom, there is a little button, donate button that you can click on. It will take you directly to uh, the donate page for PayPal, specifically for the Be Your Mix S Self Anthology fundraiser. And we have gotten a bit so far. I think we're at 90 something. Yes, and, and y'all, do please support this because this will be a print version from mostly adults um, of, of this documentary, in a sense. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a wide range. Really, We've gotten some really rich, beautiful, beautiful writing. Very personal stories. Yes. Very nonfiction moving. essays, but personal yes. stories. Yes, yes. Uh, and and the poems as well. And some great poems, and I and you, you all are going to want to support this, and you know you get all kinds of perks and stuff. So, yes, but watch the documentary. Definitely tag Maine and or me because we'd love to see what other folks have to say, other especially other mixed folks have to say. It's a great conversation starter. I'm glad it was made. Kudos to everybody who was in it. Don't forget to be a mixed subs, y'all. Peace out. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at militantly mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of militantly mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.